We are three friends who met in college and now are working in diverse fields across the globe. Curious to know about what our friends are up to. So here we are, connecting, talking and learning from our friends. In this podcast, we are sharing extraordinary insights from our not so ordinary friends working in various industries and sharing their stories and their journey so far. These are your hosts, Hiloni Punathar, Atit Kothari, and Tapan Desai. And this is What the Hat. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss on any episodes. Today we have with us Archana Ayer. She is a software engineer at Microsoft working on mixed reality platforms during the day and usually found stepping out of the tech world and doing improv comedy most of the nights of the week. We are delighted to have you Archana on the show. Welcome to What the Hat. Yay, thanks for having me. Hi, we're super excited to have you. Like I still remember <laughs> the first time I kind of met you. I think it was a good ma- a good memory. I think uh, Mansi kind of made us meet and uh, I, all of us yeah. just like took off from there. And- I honestly believe we went to college just to eat each other's food and like eat in the canteen. I don't think we really <laughs> had much more motivation at that point of time. What <laughs> <laughs> I even remember, like, since all of us were in IT, I remember there was one day where every we had like a joint dabba thing where everyone just came and kept all their food on the desks, and then everyone was eating from everyone else's dabba. Like, what sixty of us? Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. Like that was end of the fourth year yeah. when we had all these days planned. It <laughs> <That> was super <laughs> fun. Yeah, even Panvel. Like I keep remembering oh. Panvel. It was so much fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ati, do you know that that video is still on YouTube? I know. It's awesome. Okay. I get few hits now and then. <laughs> okay, because I like randomly, like the other day I was looking for something and I typed DJ Sangmi and that was one of the first videos that showed up. And I had erased that video from my memory and I was watching it and laughing. We were idiots. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> So, uh, Arjuna, uh, let's uh, start from the beginning. Uh, why engineering and why DJ? So, engineering wasn't initially the plan. Uh, initially, the plan, I, I didn't know what it is that I wanted to do. I wasn't sure if I want to engineering or not, but it was always something that I had in the back of my mind. And when I was in school, I used to do some amount of programming, and I remember being pretty decent at it. But I never thought that's something that I was going to keep pursuing so honestly, I actually kind of reached engineering by the process of elimination. And I was like, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Okay, this sounds like the most interesting amongst all of these options. And that's kind of how I reached on engineering. And um, in general, I felt like that would that would be the most general field I could enter so that I could. Basically, I'd seen a lot of like people who would go into engineering and do different things after. So I thought it would be the most interesting to give me the option to switch afterwards while learning technical skills along the same at the same time so it mostly came by the power of elimination plus like what would give me the biggest uh, skill set to then use in the future and how dj my sister went to tsec and she would like she always had this thing that she was like either go to tsec or dj all the other schools are too nerdy you won't have fun so i was like i don't want to have fun also while studying so uh, when i got into dj i think it was 
like i i don't know i went to the school and i like the, i got a good vibe from it the people seemed friendly enough and um also i didn't have a great ct score to be honest and i was not getting into tsec so it's like okay i i i like this let's let's go to dj let's do engineering we'll see how it works out so tell no, us sorry. more about like your life in dj and like how what did you do outside of your regular curriculum yeah i think first you should ask me did we do our regular curriculum <laughs> uh no 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 in all seriousness though like we did study when it was exam time like we all were hardcore like padhai karna hai marks lena hai like i think all of us had that attitude at least around the exam time but other than that um i used to be i was very involved with sports stuff like i used to play basketball from the first year and um i remember in the first and second year i was a bit involved with uh, pulse and paracha as well like the festivals i remember doing i remember dabbling a little bit in like the sponsorship end and then a little bit in the creative end and just uh, i was kind of just like seeing what's interesting to me and at that point we don't really know what we're good at or not good at so it's kind of like oh this seems interesting chalo ye try karte hain and then i think in like third year was when the sports festival started and then uh, which was iridescence i don't know is it still around yeah i think they I combined think they merged with... all of it into yeah. like trinity ah so correct, it's like parachai and the sports festival together right so then after that i i mean i got some a bunch of sponsorship experience there and then after that i got into um, the sports festival a lot cuz like my passion truly died in basketball and you know making uh, like being allowing for that uh, kind of environment to be built so i remember like i was in the leadership committee for the sports festival so that was something i was very actively involved with and i don't i i think you guys were similar and like at that point of time these festivals were our like everything like that would be like yay festival will be the best and you know you we kind of motivating ourselves with that and it was actually i loved it i think i learned a lot of my basic leadership skills over there and um gave me a lot of confidence which i didn't know i had like i didn't think that i could help run a festival at that scale and actually have so many different schools and colleges and participants so that was awesome um other than that i remember in my last year i did like an internship during the summer at iit i think one of my biggest regrets is not doing more internships i wish we had like gotten this advice earlier and kind of this feedback earlier key in the summer keep yourself busy with doing some internship some project like something to keep yourself busy even if it's not like a big scale thing cuz that's really going to help you hone down on what is interesting to you and not interesting to you so that's something i wish i did a little more while i was in school but the one summer that i did the internship was super helpful so i think it was like a bit of working on this like playing sports running the sports festival um doing the internship i think since since the very beginning you were quite keen on pursuing like further studies or doing some kind of masters uh i believe even like uh, your sister was had done it and i think that kind of also helped you kind make that decision that okay you might be wanting to go further into like a specific line of uh, it and learn more about it so i mean was that the reason to like pick up masters and then master specifically in the US. Uh yeah, no, that's that's actually that was a great uh starting point for me was when my sister came to the US to do her masters at Northwestern and I was seeing like she was really enjoying studying. Like there were extracurriculars but like her main thing was I am loving the content that I'm doing and I'm really deep diving technically into things that I I love. She did her masters in biotech. 
And uh, I was like, I want that. I want to be interested in the coursework that I'm doing and really get a technical depth. And uh, I think I'm good at programming. I think I enjoy it, but I don't feel like I'm giving it my all at DJ. And I really want to get that technical depth. And luckily enough, like I was privileged enough to have the opportunities to be able to come to the U.S. because that's not something that that's always available. And uh, so I was like, yeah, this this is a great place for me to shape my technical skills better. And uh, also, I, I mean, all, a lot of us have lived at home with our parents. And I was like, I really need to learn that independence and live by myself. And uh, this seemed like a great way to also get that experience. And obviously, it was a struggle at the start. But it's once you figure it out, it's... Uh, oh man, you feel like a responsible grown-up to an extent, and you're like, this is actually nice, I can I can take care of myself. So it was a combination of, you know, wanting to be able to take care of myself and at the same time, like, really getting a technical depth in subjects that I'm interested in. So, and plus, Atito is going to CMU, so I had to go to CMU. Just yeah, to, uh, same here. I, I selected same here because I was going. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, I won't go But no, see, it, it, was, it was really good. It was hard. It was many, many, many sleepless nights. But most of my uh, computer skills that I've learned were in the, in the two years that I spent at CMU. And I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> so uh, why, uh, any other reason other than uh, me going to CMU, why did you select CMU? <laughs> Do you have any other uh, uh, colleges that you looked over before going for CMU? Yeah, there were a few colleges that I was interested in and I had gotten into. It was really funny. I didn't get into any of my safe schools. Like, I didn't get into um, USC and uh, what was the other ones? I forget. I think it was I didn't get into Rutger. There was a few. Basically, I have applied like five safe schools. I didn't get into any safe schools. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be doing my master's. And then I got into all my ambitious schools. It's like, what's happening here? This is so confusing. Um, but... When it came down to it, like uh, CMU seemed like the best option for me because the program that I joined, which was in the Information Networking Institute, so it was a program where I was getting to do computer science courses plus ECE, plus we got some security, plus some uh, business management courses. So it was kind of a combination of all these. Like I got to try a bit of each one of these in depth. And um, I thought that was... I thought that was a very interesting program. And also it gave me the opportunity to do a six-month co-op with a company, which counted for my course credit. So I was able to work for the startup for six months. And that uh, experience was very helpful. So I think it was a combination of the the, uh, things that this course at CMU was offering me. Also, when it comes to technical computer skills, CMU is one of the best. And Atit, I, I think you can attest to that as well, just like how they make you work really hard and um, like it's really hard to get into CMU but it's even harder to get out like it's hard to pass the classes and actually make it through and uh, I think it was a great place for me to learn a lot of the skills that I use today in my job like I feel like most of the things that I learned there are things that I actually use at Microsoft and um, that's something I really appreciated about my time there yeah no absolutely like whatever programming and you know like uh, the understanding of computer science uh, that I gained was 
after CMU. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know what I did for the first four years. I got <laughs> a bachelor's degree in information tech, but I, I had no idea what it actually is and how important and how impactful it can be. Really? I still remember, I think it was in the fourth year of engineering where there were basically students who had gone to the US and to different companies. And I think our teachers had brought them back to come and talk to us in class. Do you all remember this? And I remember them telling us that, you know, pay attention to data structures and algorithms. You never know. How it's going to be very useful for you in the future. I was like, what are they saying? And then I came to CMU. I was like, oh, I know what they're saying. If you don't know these things, you can't do anything. I wish I had listened to my seniors when they were giving us advice. It was it was a grind, but I'm so glad I had that. Yeah. Nice. I think you've always been like a person who likes group studies and kind of yeah. likes to study with people. So I think I that think would have been... The, yeah, I think it's the accountability part of it that works for me the best. Like if someone else is like, Kitna kia, did you do your part? I'm like, okay, I'll do it. That's what kind of helps me. Tell us more about like your internship, which was like six months long at CMU. Yeah, so it was actually, this was uh, also... We discovered that Atit and I were in Silicon Valley at the same time, at the same CMU campus, but neither of us knew that, which is so funny because it's a really small Silicon Valley campus. Uh, but uh, So basically what the course was allowing me to do was for six months, four course credits, I was able to work with a startup. Uh, it was this startup called Omelette, which was open messaging application. So kind of like we, WeChat, but not in China and the US instead. And uh, it was literally a 15-person company and they were working out of sort of like a garage kind of situation. So that experience of working with such a small company, which literally does not know where it's going to be in six months, that was uh, very eye-opening. And just like this rate at which things move at, in an environment like that was just amazing. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a fun hustle. And I got course credits for it, so that was helpful <laughs> but it was it was really cool to see you know the the stereotypical silicon valley company working out of a garage uh you know working nights and days and how that's like so that's kind of what that experience was like for me did you actually work out of a garage no i wasn't allowed to work at the garage but they would come to the campus and like give us work that we need to i did go visit I, it uh, and it was pretty cool but um yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, uh, how did you how did you get a, a internship there? So that to, was actually campus? so that was more of a six month co op. My internship was uh, something I did right. No, was it after? Yeah, it was before that. Um, so the internship I had gotten through the CMU career fair. No, not the CMU career fair. Grace Hopper career fair. I had gone for the Grace Hopper conference, and over there they had the usual career fair with like so many different companies and I interviewed over there and I got I did an internship at Intuit in San Diego I was working on their TurboTax product uh, which was not something I knew about at all so I don't know how I got that internship but I fooled someone and I got it so <laughs> that was nice um, whereas the co-op that was actually something there were there was a bunch of companies that had a tie-up with CMU for this co-op course and they uh Basically, they told us that these are the positions we have. What are you interested in? Because every student had to get assigned a co-op. So that was less of us finding them, more about them telling us that these are all the options you have. 
which project are you interested in? You kind of rank which projects you're interested in and based on availability, they assign you. There were those two different like industry experiences I got to have before I actually joined Microsoft. So, I mean, did that shape you like shape up some reason to kind of be part of Microsoft after graduating or are there's like a whole new story to it? Getting into Microsoft, I didn't think I would get in first of all, because I thought my interview was terrible. I thought I bombed it really bad. Uh, but I did get an offer and later I I kind of I spoke to one of my interviewers once I joined Microsoft and I was because I was really curious I was like how did I get in I but like when I was solving one of the questions I literally halfway through the question I realized I was doing it totally wrong and I was like okay I'm gonna start from the start again and I like went back to the beginning and then solved it again so I reached out to one of my interviewers once I joined and I was like hey why did you want me to join your team? Because that guy was the one who extended the offer to me. And he's like, because I saw you struggling. I didn't give you too much guidance. You realize you were struggling and you were like, oh no, I need to fix this. And you actually had the presence of mind to, you know, go back to the start and solve the problem on your own again without panicking and just, you know, taking it one step at a time. And he's like, I saw that skill and that's why I wanted you on my team. I was like, whoa. I did not expect that. And um, it was just really nice to see that they were looking more at the problem solving as opposed to, do you know this tech and this particular algorithm, uh, which I thought was pretty cool because like, I always had this idea that it's only about the data structures and algorithms and it doesn't matter how much you know your thought process and things like that work. Um, so when I got offered that job, I was like, I, the fact that that's why they want me for my problem solving, that's really cool. And also just the Microsoft has so many different teams and so many different products that if I didn't enjoy it in one product, I could, it's not easy, but it's relatively, you have more opportunities to try something else. And there's a lot of different roles that I could try. So that's kind of what attracted me to want to go and work there. That's, that's yeah. a depressing story. Uh, so what, what was the interview process like? It was hard. Yeah, I got the first interview on-site at at, uh, at CMU in the career. That's when I did the first round interview. And after that, they I cleared the first round, so they want, they flew me over for the on-site, which was like six hours of back-to-back -back interviews, which was exhausting. I have some, like, I've given them so many opinions about how they should be changing this, and I know they're constantly, like, trying to fix the way they do university recruiting. So I did those six hours of interviews, and basically how it works, how it used to work at Microsoft is that there's a university recruiting day. So what they'll do is they'll have, let's say an org such as office, and they'll say, okay, office needs X number of positions. We're gonna fly in all of these students and they're going to interview for these roles. And as a student, you don't really get to pick which team you want to go to, which is annoying, but it is what it is. And then basically you're in, on that day, if you're interviewing that day, you're interviewing for the office team or you're interviewing for the Xbox team or something like that. And then based on how many headcounts they have, they offer that many positions. On site, uh, most of my interviews, I think two of them were problem solving and three of them were data structures and algorithms. And I think there was one at the end, which was just kind of, uh, tell us more about yourself and, you know, this, um, like about the projects you worked on and things like that. It was an intense day of interviewing, but uh, it was a lot of fun <laughs> at the end of it, not during it. Uh, do you have any recommendation on resources that like students uh, who are uh, preparing for interview should be? Uh, you know, going through? Yeah, no, great question. I'm sure a lot of people are already using Cracking the Coding Interview and Lead Code because those are the main two resources. But other than that, I think the thing I found most useful was uh, mock interviews. 
and i know leap code offers some sort of you know mock interviews that you can do online but just when you're interviewing there's a lot of your other friends who will be interviewing as well just have a mock interviewing session with them or you know try finding an alumni who wants to help you out with mock interviewing because i know a lot of alumni like helping with these things and the mock interviewing really really helps because you kind of um put yourself in the interview mindset and you know try you get better with the stress the more you do it that was something that helped me tremendously was just mock interviews as much as i could makes sense i think mock interviews are, are the best that yeah like when you when you're put in front of a whiteboard it's a different type of it uh, really is yeah. yeah also interviewing is not fun like wherever you do it whoever does it like four years down the line too it's never fun so it's always make the most of it when you can and then just like give your best then and then be like okay i can breathe now <laughs> but um the best way to get better at them is just doing more of them yeah exactly i i hate interviews i just hate them because yeah. you don't know if you're doing good or you're doing bad until you get the offer yeah. so i always felt like i'm doing really bad during the interview but oh, turns yeah. out they call me for the next round so it's like all and every time i thought i had a good interview i'm never called so it, it, it was like very <laughs> weird for me that way yeah and there's so many variables that come into the picture and are like what is the mood of the interviewer on that day what is your mood on that day um like what kind of question do they feel like asking you or you know have they had a bad experience with someone who has the same experience as you then they have like a preconceived mindset about how you're going to perform and they're just like it's just so many variables that it's it's a stressful situation so it's just kind of practice it and give it your best and if it works out it does if it doesn't like it's not the end of the world and i think that's really important to understand is that your first job is not your only job it's just your first thing so it's okay <laughs> i failed so many interviews before i got into microsoft like there was this phase where i was like i'm not going to get anything this is going to be terrible like what am i doing here am i coming home like that whole thing the more you do it the you get better and then it works out and it's very interesting like when you apply as a student you're like looking out for companies and being like please hire me please hire me but the minute you get like 1 2 3 years of uh, work experience like your value increases so much so quickly and when you reach out to companies or even sometimes companies reach out to you they're very interested because they're like you already have some experience and like tell us more about that and then it becomes less of the i mean there are of course the programming interviews but there's a lot of the system design interviews which is what you do in your day to day job and your value like just getting from grad school to the first job that i think is the hardest interviewing part just because a you have no idea what the industry is like and what they're expecting be like you don't know your own worth at that point you're like oh i'm just one of these like whatever 100 other students that i'm working with and everyone's applying for the same jobs whereas once you come to the industry you're like okay like not everyone's applying at the same time or at least you're not actively talking to them and hearing about oh i got this job oh i got that job so it's like not that constant you know interaction from all sides about that so that first job is always stressful it's just that like when you said how tough it is to like even crack an interview i was like dude like i sit and prepare when i have like candidates coming in for roles as well understanding yeah. what they have done and like how can i make them fit into this specific role and like even oh, yeah. sell that role to them because like most of the students when they are just out of grad school they have want to do everything and that's right. what their primary requirement is and then you need <laughs> to understand like make them understand okay you first need to give some time to this you need to 
like get to a level where you can decide whether it's something for you or not and then think of switching another option and i mean yeah it's it's tough there as well <laughs> yeah no it's that's right it's a good point like when i remember when i was doing some interviews at dj i think it was capgemini and one of the interviewers he's like you're doing well but you are interested in too many things so you should start focusing on what you want to do and i like that was the first time someone had actually been real with me and was like you know slow down think about what you actually like and that actually made me think more about it and i'm glad i got that feedback at that point because i was like oh i like this i like that like uh, anything just you know take me i'll do any job you want but it was like tell us what you're actually interested in and i'm glad i got that feedback and i think like to your point of it's hard on the other side as well i think something we forget to do when you're interviewing for a company like you are also interviewing them like you want to make sure that's a place you want to work at and you know the people who are interviewing you seem like good people who you do want to spend time with because you're going to be seeing them for so many hours every day and like it's important to understand that it's a two way thing even though they're in the position of power at that point but like you need to get that good feeling from them too and i think that's something we don't tend to do very often but it's good to be mindful about so uh, what what's your current role at microsoft i type things some days no i'm joking uh, <laughs> i'm a software engineer and i work on the mixed reality team so specifically on the hololens product and uh, what i work on is i work on a platform one of the things i work on is a platform to help build a collaborative and shared mixed reality experiences so um the hololens is microsoft's mixed reality device and uh, for those who don't know what mixed reality is it's kind of midway between virtual reality where you're in a completely like when you wear a virtual reality headset you're in a world which is completely different from the world that you're in so everything is um like basically in another world as opposed to augmented reality which is like similar to snapchat filters where it's uh you're placing objects in the real world but you're uh, so you're placing like 3d objects around in the real world and in the middle is mixed reality where it's it's the real world and you're placing objects but you're also anchoring things around those objects so you can like interact with those things in the real world so for example if you know how like in um iron man they have all these like 3d projections that they're interacting with building all these models and things like that so that's the like the futuristic view of it but what we work on is how do you enable different users wearing different devices to be able to have that shared experience across devices yeah so i work on that platform and building that out for developers so that's been pretty fun i was actually wow. picturing iron man when you started explaining mixed reality how far are we from that actually the question should be rephrased to how far are we from affordable mixed reality because right now we're kind of already there to an extent with the hololens but it's so expensive that it's only afford like only like big companies and enterprises can afford it it's not something that's consumer level yet whereas like if you see vr now has slowly made it but i think like atit would have more experience with this too it's just like you know the ar vr world is becoming more accessible so uh, the idea right now the main focus is at enterprise level getting to that technology which is useful and then once once you get enough um, headway with that using that technology to make it more consumer level and so that more people can use it and something that my team works on is like realizing that not everyone can have a hololens device so how can you make it such that people with an android or an ios device can also have the same mixed reality experience without necessarily having a hololens device and because it's expensive like i'm not paying 3500 dollars for that device at home that's very expensive i think 
the tech is almost there but i just think the world is not ready for it and does not it's not it's too expensive and it's just i think it's going to be more of like society is not ready for it yet it's it's a lot of a mindset change to be able to adapt to this technology and uh i think that's that's where the interesting part is going to be yeah absolutely i mean they they were targeting microsoft uh, initially were, were targeting like customers who and they, they thought they would bring down the price but mm. uh, then uh, like this was 2016 and uh, still they were not able to figure out like by 2019 so i think they moved to uh, b2b business right like yep. and the price would be able to get them yeah they they kind of switched the focus to say that first yeah. let's figure out the product let's figure out the tech and once we know that we're there let's see how we can bring it to everyone experience it to actually understand how powerful it can be you know like doesn't matter how many videos you see or uh, how much we explain or articles you read you just have to explain no it's like honestly like not even exaggerating the first time i put on the device i was like is this real like what, what? I, like i have a lot of these moments where i'm like am i actually working on this is this how did i manage to land this this is this is going to be so useful and recently i saw this video about how uh, during the covid times because it's a great thing to actually be using right now when you want to do remote things and want to be able to see people and see experiences without physically being there so there was this video of how um they shipped a bunch of hololens devices to some students and this was medical students who were learning the anatomy and because they couldn't physically be in the school and like interact with the human cadaver they were they had like a projection of the human body and they were able to like pick out parts of it and the teacher was able to teach them that like what you're looking at right now look at it from all the angles like open up this thing this is that artery and like just the utility utility of that even though it's very nascent right now is just mind blowing yeah it's going it's it's going to be very very useful i'm very excited for where it's it's i think it's still like 3 5 7 years down the line that it's actually going to be something that's adapted uh but once it gets that i think it's going to be super helpful like i had this very interesting experience 3 weeks back actually i get like i've been wanting to do like a t- conference tech talk for a while and um i was supposed to do one but covid happened so it wasn't going to happen but microsoft actually moved this whole conference into altspace vr which is like a vr social network so i was able to give a talk to 300 people with their like avatars physically present in the room and they were able to like see me talking and like interacting with my presentation and then they were able to ask me questions afterwards and it was all in the virtual world so i was able to like meet new people and have conversations with them without physically being there while they could still see me that was a really fun experience and it kind of gave me that uh, realization of this is going to be useful eventually <laughs> it was nice yeah that's awesome what was the talk about it was about the shared collaborative experiences and azure spatial anchors is the product that specifically that we work on which does that and um, yeah i was just like talking about samples and how to get started what they can do how they can use it in their product and things like that and uh, it was it was a lot of fun some very like interesting questions and interactions with the community uh, and yeah. you have like a link to the video is it on youtube or linkedin it is i'll send you a link so uh, uh, i actually wanted to ask uh, uh, do, do you do more uh, like product management or do you actually write code uh, and if you write code uh, what stack do you use yeah no i i'm like software engineer so i do more of the coding part of it i'm not as much in the product management part of it um and it's more on the back end server part of it that i work on specifically so my main language of interaction is c sharp that's the main stuff that we build our project on 
um, a lot of the science and computer vision algorithms that we work on are in C++. I personally don't work on that, but like some amount of familiarity with that. So a lot of the stuff we do is uh, productizing the computer vision algorithms and making them available, making these holograms available in the cloud. So we work a lot with like databases and distributed systems and things like that. So a lot of Azure technologies, Azure is Microsoft's private cloud offering. So it's a lot of distributed systems, um, cloud technology and C-sharp development. Did you always join this team or was some other No, team? I was telling Atit the other day, the first team I actually joined was completely different. I joined the Office 365 team and I was working on Exchange. So I was working on email. And um, that was, it was very interesting because that gave me a good view of what it is like to work on, because Outlook and Exchange is something that's used like crazy in the industry. Like, I'm sure you all can attest to the fact that like most companies use Outlook and most companies use Exchange. So the scale and magnitude of that product is amazing. So that gave me a really good insight into what it is like to work on a system at scale. And then I moved to this team where it was about, we don't have a system, we don't have a product yet, but we want to build a product which eventually gets to that scale. So I kind of got to apply a lot of the things that I learned on my first team to know that these are things we don't want to do or these are things that we do want to do and uh, you know, kind of help build a product from scratch, like a V1 version. So it's both been very different experiences, but a lot of the skills I learned there are very applicable here. And what made you like decide on switching teams? I think it was about a year-ish in, oh no, a year and two months in where I was like, okay, I think I'm kind of plateauing out on how much I think I'm learning here. And I don't find myself being as excited about it as I would like. And also like, the product that I was working on was not, it was less, it was more about making sure it stays stable and scales as opposed to innovating and doing something which doesn't exist yet. And I think I was like really missing that. And I, that's something I wanted to try. So when I heard that this team had um, positions open, I was like, I have no idea about this field. I think I'll be completely in over my head here. Like, let's go see what it's about. And that's what made me apply to like switch teams and try this rollout was because I have no idea about the computer vision space and it just seemed like a very interesting field with a lot of growth opportunities because I'd be totally pushed out of my comfort zone. It was like, let's try <laughs> that thing. <laughs> I think sometimes what, as engineers, something that we don't do a lot is that we're so heads down in coding all the time that we forget to think about the end product and what we're actually building. But I think like that definitely helped me there where I was like able to think of customer scenarios and think of like situations where I think this would be useful. I think I had the right questions when I was joining the team about, you know, understanding the space and the applications of this technology, which definitely helped me. I was looking at the device, actually, I'm on the HoloLens page. So how heavy is it? And like, how does it work? Like, do you have to install apps and things like that? Is it similar to Oculus? It's similar to Oculus, except you don't, it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't have to be connected to your computer. It doesn't have to have like a wired connection. Actually, I don't know if the Oculus one of the Oculus doesn't, but I forget. Different versions of Oculus. The latest one, uh, it's it's all powered. Uh, you don't need to uh, connect it to any power supply. So it's all yeah. right. Yeah, so the V1 version of the HoloLens was extremely heavy, right? Like you would wear it for... 30 minutes and you'll be like this, I'm getting a headache, I can't wear it anymore. Whereas the new version, which came out 
last year it's actually like they made it way like the ergonomics is something they paid a lot of attention to because they got all that feedback in the first product and uh you can comfortably wear it for at least an hour and a half uh and you don't feel it like it's that heavy because in the first version of the product like all the weight was focused in the front of the headset whereas now they've distributed it across the head and there's more weight on the back so it's more comfortable it's like i would say you could do a full hour long meeting and not and forget that you're wearing something on your head like it's a much much smoother experience now and there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of the field of view and things like that but uh in general it's pretty comfortable on your head what are the major use cases like for for hololens right now uh so right now like i said the main focus is enterprise so there's a bunch of applications in the fields of construction and architecture and uh something that's being used a lot is like on factory floors to help first line workers be able to basically move away from the clipboard and move to more like contextual data access and be able to map the entire space using the device so you know kind of like oh this device is malfunctioning and this is how you navigate to it and it kind of shows you the map and then things like remote assist where you are looking at a machine and someone remotely is able to tell you like what part of it you need to fix and kind of you can overlay a 3d picture and be like oh this is what i need to do this is that part so there's a lot of applications in construction manufacturing and architecture then another big one is education and uh, kind of being able a lot in like medical education specifically another what else is there there's yeah there's like general medical field as well i think they're starting i think they recently had the first surgery which was done where the surgeon was wearing a hololens device to be able to picture what they need to do and something like that which was pretty cool it's more enterprise now and then i think slowly there's also a bunch of gaming that's coming into it so something that my team worked on last year was we worked on uh there was a minecraft earth release that happened last year which was where it was kind of minecraft in the style of pokemon where you can go around and you know mine things in the real world so ar gaming is also like location based entertainment which i think atit might have more experience with like ar gaming we've had a few projects with some arts and museums kind of places where you want to have interactive exhibits where you're Uh, people who are coming to the exhibit are actually able to interact with paintings and architectures and sculptures and things like that and get more information based on which part of the exhibit they're interacting with that's been fun too yeah i mean one of the projects that was uh, going on last semester at my program at etc uh, entertainment technology center was uh, ar theater so like everyone in the theater would be wearing uh, hololens and uh, they, there would be one character which would only be virtual uh, and like it was a prototype obviously they had like 16 weeks to do it but mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, the story that they were telling was uh, tinkerbell tinkerbell <laughs> uh, yeah that uh, the fairy was uh, the virtual character and it it looked pretty neat so yeah, yeah. so uh, speaking of theaters uh, you you do improv Uh, I try. <laughs> Is it any good? Well, I don't know, but I keep going back. Uh I do, I do. It's it's been so much fun honestly. It's it's very very different than anything I've done ever tech related. And I think that's the first thing that drew me to it was I've never done theater or drama, but comedy is something I've always been interested in and 
I don't have, I don't think I could do stand up. So I was like, let's see this improv comedy. I don't know how many of y'all have like watched Whose Line Is It Anyway growing up, but I used to be obsessed with that show. And I was like, this is so funny. How do they come up with these things? They're so funny. And when I first moved to Seattle, I was like, I, I went and saw an improv show and I was like, this is hilarious. This is so good. And I think I saw a few shows and they had a sign at the end saying, we also offer classes. And initially I was terrified. I was like, why would I do this? This is terrifying. But then I realized that I won't know anyone there. So let's go try it. And if I fail, like, it's fine. No one ever has to know about it. But I went there and I just had so much fun. And I was learning so much that I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. And then I just kept going back. And now it's what, two two years, two and a half years later, and I'm still enjoying it. So it kind of started on a, there's no way I'd be able to do this kind of attitude and now I'm like it's it brings me so much joy and it's just a lot of fun to do to me you sound like marvelous Mrs. Maisel here <laughs> <laughs> oh man no she's she's another level I don't have half the difficulties that she faces yeah, but every time I hear improv and like I can pictureize her and wow like that's <laughs> That sounds fun and that that looks so much fun. A lot of people are like, improv is a cult and, you know, people who are into it are very, really into it. But for me, honestly, it's more about the, I mean, the people I've met through it have been amazing, but also it's like really pushed me out of my comfort zone to do something I never would, which is what I enjoy the most about it. And uh, I've learned a lot, a lot of different skills which have been applicable in like day-to-day life which I don't think I would have learned otherwise can you elaborate on that even at work they keep on having this improv for business classes and things like that Mm -hmm. so do you think that works and how does that work I think it's something that requires a long time invest long-term investment like you like one or two classes are not going to make as much of a difference but it's something like you actively keep going back and doing then it's kind of I mean I can give you an example of like why I think so first when I started doing it I was just doing it because it's fun I was like this is two and a half hours in the week where I'm just going and laughing and like not thinking too much about what I'm saying. So it's like a two and a half hours of happy time. Let's just do it. And then I kept doing it. I was like, okay, maybe there's something more. So I started doing some open mic nights and the first few open mic nights were rough. Like I was so bad. I bombed really badly. Like me and my scene partner, I remember this was the second or the third time we did it. You get roughly four minutes on the op- during the open mic night. And we went on stage and we were trash. We were so bad. It was, you know, that feeling where you could tell that the audience was cringing. They were like, get these people off the stage. Like we were, we were spiraling. It was really, really bad. And I got off stage and at the end of it, like, you know, the world didn't end. I bombed in front of a hundred people and it was fine. Like life went on. No one thought about it again. And that made me realize like, you know, how we're always thinking, you know, what is this person going to say? Oh no, I messed up. They're going to think about it. And it kind of gave me that realization that it doesn't matter. Like, just go out and try your best. And that's what's important. And then the next time I went back and it went great. And it was that realization of like, you could, unless you try taking that risk and you fail, it's, you're not going to realize, you know, it's it's fine. It's okay. You can mess up, but like the world won't end. Just come back and try again. And I don't think that's something I would have done otherwise. At that scale, like in front, like the public speaking part of it was like, wow, I'm alive. No one threw rocks at me. That's excellent. And uh, that was, that was a very like aha moment for me. Ki not everyone's always worried about you messing up. Like it's in your head. It's fine if you mess up. Um, so that was pretty cool. How, how do you turn that knob off? Like, 
when you are on stage and because before you tell a joke mm-hmm. i can picture like you will be thinking in the back of your mind is it funny am i going to be funny but improv is so quick you have to be really quick so how do you turn that knob off you before you start thinking about is this funny or not you just say it so it's kind of the uh, because in day to day life we're like oh should i say this should i not say this and you know you kind of overthink it in your head whereas when you're doing this it's more of like try not to think about it too much if feels right just say it and also like the whole thing in improv is that your the people on stage with you are supporting you and you develop this environment of trust that even if i say something really stupid they're going to take that as an offer and build on that and they're kind of going to like what nothing that you say is wrong because it's a made up world anyway so you stop you stop thinking that things you say are wrong like mistakes are also offers which are which add to the scene and which are making something in the scene like if you're doing a scene on stage and you hear like a thud sound in the background at the other end of the theater you incorporate that into the scene and be like oh look at that someone's knocking on the door and you you know nothing that happens is wrong so then you have that fearless ki oh no is this going to be funny sometimes it's funny sometimes it's just a thing you're saying in the scene and adding to that so you try and not to overthink it is like it's a gradual thing that happens and yeah. have you ever tried that uh, michael scott thing where you say that i have a gun in my pocket and you just go around <laughs> have you done that one of the first things our teachers taught us is that's not how you hold a gun don't do the gun scene which michael scott did <laughs> because everyone who gets into improv is like oh i'm going to do this scene like michael scott and they're like we've seen this so many times please don't do it <laughs> So uh but I have tried it yes I have this been <laughs> you have Oh definitely yes <laughs> everyone has to do a gun scene at some point it's like a rite of passage <laughs> <laughs> Yeah it's 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 fun you also it, it's cool cuz like that's the one time where I interact with people outside of tech the most like uh, uh, some people some of my friends through improv they like you know high school teachers or they own a flower shop game designers so it's like I get to meet a lot of people which otherwise I don't know if I've gotten the exposure to so that's also been a very fun part of the experience for me i'm still like very i'm not like good enough to be a part of any company so it's more of indie stuff but like my favorite improv thing to do is actually me plus two more of my friends there's very few indian improvisers in the seattle community so the three of us together we formed like we kind of spotted each other we're like oh you're an indian person in improv like i uh, let's do something together and we made this group called let's chat uh, which is it's kind of a pun on chatting and like chat yeah. and chatting so our yeah. thing is that we get a suggestion from the audience which is a very like everyday thing for someone in america like you know thanksgiving or pancakes or something and then we kind of give some stories about our experience with that and how like this is not something that we really had growing up and we use those stories to inspire us to like play different games and do different improv scenes so uh every time we do it it's completely different and it's and like the main thing is it's like expi- inspired by our experience moving from india to the us and the differences in life here and there wow that's that's really interesting <laughs> it is i highly recommend it to anyone who's trying to like step out of the comfort zone and get better with um, you know overthinking and spontaneity and things like that so um, do do you have any other side projects that you're working on any uh, near future plans something i work on a bunch is like with microsoft and a little bit outside too is we i help with panels and workshops for 
underprivileged girls in tech and just like exposing them to tech in middle school and high school so something we've been working on is trying to get like have a huge conference for them to come and learn some coding skills and interact with some people at Microsoft and things like that so that's something i work on a bunch this is a little different it's called ignite which is like inspiring girls now in technology everywhere um it's it's more of a seattle thing but mm-hmm. it's the same concept of people who don't have access to it education where they can do computer science and things like that like just exposing them to showing them that there are also women in this field and that this is something that they can pursue and kind of giving them some basic skills to get started with that so i've been doing a bunch of like teaching at those workshops hosting panels and we're trying to have a big conference for that so that's something i enjoy doing and it's cool cuz microsoft like any time that i put into that microsoft matches and they're super supportive of supportive of it which is always nice so that's something i work on a bunch um on my my free time newton said if i have seen the future it is by standing on shoulders of the giants we bring to you these giants in the life of our guests our next segment is top 3 a curated list of top 3 recommendations from our guests what are your top 3 book recommendations and what is the book that you've gifted the most my top 3 books the last book that i read which i really liked was uh, trevor noah's a uh, burner crime i don't know if y'all have read that yet but i thought it was so well written and it was very very interesting to read and it was to see how you know using his wit and ability he was able to you know different fit into different groups and how that's helped him through his life and just the whole keep hustling don't give up so born a crime is like something i really enjoyed another book i really like is something i actually started reading as one of a suggestion from an improv teacher it's called impro it's by keith johnstone it's a pretty old book but I think a lot of the concepts they talk about there are very interesting and applicable in real life like for example there's a whole chapter on spontaneity and you know how that's important in life and then there's a whole chapter about the general status dynamic so it talks a little bit about how in any situation there's always someone who has a higher status and lower status and how that keeps like flipping and just uh observing that has been super interesting so impro has been a very interesting book i don't know if this is interesting to you all but the book i've gifted the most it's like fantasy fiction but it's called name of the wind it's by this author called patrick rothfuss and i like this book a lot because i feel like there's always i mean i generally like reading fantasy fiction books because it takes me out of the real world like i feel like there's always so much happening and there's so many things to stress about and the world is constantly burning so it's nice for some time to read a book which puts you in another universe and you know for at least some amount of time you're completely there so it's called name of the wind by patrick rothfuss and i think it's there's two books he's currently writing the third one but i highly recommend that recommend that for anyone who likes fantasy fiction three movies or tv show recommendations i watch way more tv and movie shows than i should uh i have you all watched shit's creek that's my usual like go to binge kind of the way we used to watch friends in the past that's how i watch shit's creek now i just you know keep watching episodes recently i've been hooked on to bojack horseman a lot i think that's pretty funny uh have you all watched killing eve that's also a very good tv show it's like mystery drama murder comedy everything <laughs> uh that's been fun and then in movies i'm trying to remember oh one of my favorite movies in the past few years has been the big sick have you ever watched that one yet yeah i love oh, it i love that movie uh, i think the 
oh my god that guy's sense of humor is really really good um and also i mean it's not exactly but i find it, it's interesting i draw some parallels in that where he's you know uh, a brown person telling his parents about their his white partner and when i was watching it i was like oh my i can see a lot of similarities between that and my real life so i think i found it even funnier because of that and what else i love bollywood so like yejwani hadiwani is one of my all time like i can i think i watched that movie like 50 times um knives out has anyone that's a movie which came out i think sometime last year i thought that was pretty interesting is there is there any podcast and youtube channel recommendations that you have yes a, a few um One of my favorite podcasts that I like listening to is this podcast called The Moth and what they do is they do storytelling so the thing is they do storytelling and uh, all the stories are based on like true experiences that people have and the stories range between 3 minutes to 15 minutes and um, it's very interesting because you a lot of the stories that people tell are very simple everyday things but they talk about it from their point of view and you start noticing things in day to day life which you wouldn't otherwise because you're like oh that's an interesting story that i could tell and just um kind of makes you think the whole idea is you don't need to make up stories you have a lot of stories in you already it's just a question of you wanting to tell them and this podcast is super good about like encouraging people to do storytelling so the moth is awesome another one i really like is reply all um it's kind of this one where they there's these hosts who talk about different uh, tech issues that people might have and they kind of invest so they kind of do like investigative journalism with tech stuff and it's usually pretty funny and eye opening and the conversations they have around these things are very interesting like there was this one episode where this guy got a uh, you know how you get all these calls saying you have not paid your tax and if you don't pay it by this amount of time then you will be kicked out of the country and all those like scam calls <laughs> so what this guy does is he actually like tracks down what that who made the call and he actually fl- then he he keeps tracking it down and he eventually tracks it down to a call center in delhi and he goes there and finds out that they actually have this huge ring operation where they specifically target all of these particular kind of students and trick them into paying money and he like brings them down and stuff so it's very interesting like just based on his curiosity he tracks down these big things and another one that i like i'm guessing some of you might have heard about serial the murder one that's how yeah, i started okay. listening to podcasts yeah yeah same same i remember once i was flying back from the us to india and i downloaded episodes of serial and I, for like the entire 9 hours i listened to a whole season and i got out of the plane and i looked like i'd been traumatized i was like what happened on that plane journey unlike the name we are dwelling deep into our guests thought process rapid fire is our next segment where our guests will answer some quirky some weird but mostly fun questions if you could invite three people for dinner and have a chat they could be living or uh, dead uh, who would uh, that be and why Oh, oh, too many people. Uh Hasan Minhaj, don't mind that I use the word woke, but I think he's very woke. I like him. Ranbir Kapoor, cuz I haven't seen him in a while and I don't know what he's up to when I'm I'm seeing him on screen. And Michelle Obama could be interesting. Moving on to the next question. If you could create a holiday, what would it be and uh, what would you celebrate? you can go as crazy as you want i want something which is like pajama day where everyone has to stay at home and stay in the pajamas and like just relax all day 
and no no questions asked like just chill the fuck out and there's like everything everything on that day is kind of built around that like the best movies will stream the best tv shows um like total sense sell stuff which will you know make your relaxation prime and oh man that would be amazing uh if you could use verita serum on someone who would you use it on and why i mean honestly knowing me it would probably be some celebrity in order to get some gossip which i have questions about salman khan wanted to own up to all the things he did to aishwarya rai okay <laughs> i have not forgotten maybe maybe ask him if he was driving actually honestly though um it would probably be someone who's you know in a someone in a high position and ask them about how often if they do like feel the imposter syndrome like do they honestly feel like they are the most confident person and like they are amazing at what they do and just you know kind of really understand if they like all of us do they do they also have self doubt like someone like obama or i'm not even going to say trump but someone interesting like that just you know what how do you what is the image you have of yourself in your head and understand that if you could have a gigantic billboard uh anywhere with anything on it what would it say and why nobody knows what they're doing like everyone's just figuring it out and just calling that out yeah just like a big thing reminding people that everyone's figuring it out our next segment is called not the onion presenting four news articles that are mind blowingly ridiculous that they could have been written by the onion a satirical news company however one is a fake article created by us you have to guess which one is not the onion so the first one anti porn filters stop dominic cummings trending on twitter Twitter's anti-porn filters have blocked uh, Dominic Cummings' name from its list of trending topics despite Boris Johnson's chief advisor dominating British political news for almost a week. As a result of the filtering trending topics over the past 5 days have instead included a variety of misspellings of his name including Cummings, Dominic Cummings, Sack Cummings, bizarrely the shortened hashtag Cumgate has also trended. since the first syllable is not included in twitter's <laughs> filter list second california homeless man breaks into bank to microwave hot pockets it was worth it a homeless man in california has been accused of breaking into a bank early wednesday morning just to use it to microwave uh, his hot pockets according to reports police responded to wells fargo around 3:30 am after an alarm was sounded The alarm company told officers that the man could be seen on a surveillance video in the break room using microwave. Was it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it, said the man. Uh Saint Paul police screen Zootopia as part of anti-bias training. More than 800 employees of the Saint Paul Police Home Department recently went through their annual equity training. This year they turned to an animated movie from Hollywood. to talk about some serious issues they face every day zootopia which was released yes last year won an oscar for its handling of subjects like prejudice and bias now the animated metaphor for race relations could help police in the real world and see the same issues in new light and the fourth article a denver restaurant puts hand sanitizer face masks and hand gloves on the menu Over the holiday weekend as governor set a restaurant reopening date of May 27th in Colorado 
one restaurant in Denver came up with an interesting idea. They have included a pump of hand sanitizer, face mask, and hand gloves on the menu. The restaurant restaurant owner said on Friday, "50 percent of our restaurant team has been working throughout the pandemic on post-coronavirus reopening for the restaurant, designing a new table layout for guests, indoor versus outdoor seating area, switching from air conditioning to a more natural airflow, and one of the ideas that came up." was selling some of the essential preventative items in the restaurant this felt like a good business opportunity uh, so those were the four news article anti pawn filters on twitter second one being a california homeless man breaking into a bank third being zootopia being screened for anti bias training and fourth one being the denver restaurant so archana starting with you which one do you think is the fake one Did all of them seem legit <sighs> One and four. I think anti-porn is not true. Twitter's had a lot going on. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with one. Okay, anti-porn filters. Um, Heloni, which one do you think is a fake one? The Zootopia one. I think Zootopia. Yeah, that's my pick. Zootopia, <laughs> third one. Okay, and then Atit. Yeah, uh, I'll also go with the first one. Anti-porn. Okay. Fake one was the Denver restaurant. uh so i think this was a very funny insightful and hilarious uh, show today thank you so much for being part of it arjuna so that's about it folks we will be back next week with another guest and another story we would love to hear your thoughts about the episode feel free to reach out to us on instagram twitter or facebook You can just search what the had podcast. Also, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Castbox, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from, so you never miss out on the next episode. This is Hiloni, Atit, and Tapan signing off, and this was what the had.